Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Good afternoon and welcome to From the Crow's Nest, our live subscriber edition here, our, bi our new bi-weekly feature uh, for members of the AOC and our special subscribers. Um, I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows, and I am here with my special guest, uh, longtime friend, AOC, friend of the AOC, uh, retired U.S. Air Force Colonel Jeff Fisher. Fish, great to have you on the show again. Great to hey, see great you. Great to be with you. Good to uh, see you again. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to kind of uh, lay out the, this episode a little bit uh, for those who may be new joining us here today. So. Uh, last month, we launched this new subscription service. Uh, it is not it is not behind a paywall yet. So it is basically free for anyone who wants to log in, listen to us record the episode, and then download the episode when it's released tomorrow, unedited. And the idea is to bring you a kind of just an unfiltered conversation on current events happening in the EW community around the world. Um, so I'll have a rotating list of guests come on the show. Uh, Colonel Fisher is one of them. Of course, for those who have uh, listened to the previous episodes, we've had John Knowles, Matt Thompson. Um, I'll have uh, some of our congressional affairs uh, folks join us, uh, Madison and Katie, next week to talk about what's going on in Congress as some of the deadlines reach. So we're going to cover the, a range of ish current events, and the idea is just to kind of listen in and participate. If you're in the audience, thank you for joining us. Uh, you can... I encourage you to go to the chat box at the bottom of your screen and let us know that you're here uh, by entering your name and saying hi. We know ex we know that you're in the audience and uh, you can use that chat function to ask questions throughout the show. So anytime you have a thought, a comment, a question, especially of Colonel Fisher, he likes provocative questions. He likes to go on the record and, and saying the, the, the controversial thing. So feel free to ask him a question and uh, we'll get to as many questions as we can. And uh Really appreciate your your participation in that. With that, I will turn back to my guest Jeff. is It's great to great to have you on the show. It's uh, I had you on the show back in uh, December when we were at the AOC convention for some of our live streaming. But it's it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's it's great to see you. Uh, you know, the, a lot. It's only been a couple months, and I tell you, there's a lot of stuff that's happened right out there in the in the EW world and the war in Ukraine, uh, funding for. Defense and NATO. That's uh, there's uh, that we're all over the map right now. It's crazy it, it, 2024. It, it is crazy 2024, and really even the last couple of weeks have just seen a, a, a firestorm of of new events ha happening, particularly in Ukraine. Uh, other places around the world, we talked about wanting to mention. You know, obviously some of the the conflict going on with the uh, with the uh, uh, Houthis out in, in Yemen. We might get to that later in the show, but I want to do. I do want to start uh, talking about Ukraine. Um, and I was just kind of, uh, you know, in preparation for, for the show today, I was reading the Kiev Post, and I really need to be doing this on a more daily basis, and I would commend our, our listeners to, to take, you know, take a look at Kiev Post on, on a regular basis, because it really kind of does give you a good 
uh, obviously overview of what's going on and where we're at. But there's a good opinion piece uh, in today's edition uh, entitled appropriately Ukraine 2024 by Diane Francis. And she kind of in the opinion piece lays out a number of ongoing uh, issues that are that are basically frozen in time right now on February 20th, 2024. Uh, you know, you had the recent death of the the uh, 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 activist Navalny uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, you had the fall of the city. And I, mean, I knew I was going to screw it up. Fish. Advika. Uh, Advika. Advika. Thank you. Advika, uh, a couple, you know, er, earlier, um, you have the issues of funding from the U.S. and European allies uh, to Ukraine that is frozen. So it's a good overview article that I commend our listeners to take a look at. Uh, so just to begin, Fish, I wanted to get your take on, you know, sitting here in 2024, almost a two-year anniversary that the war has been going on. Uh, what are your th- current thoughts about where we stand today? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of people were surprised by no, uh, Navalny's death, right? <laughs> How it happened. We don't, we don't know yet. Right. And, and this is modus operandi, right? For, for Russia. You know, I, I was uh, in a couple of Twitter spaces and, and was talking with some, some pretty powerful people. And I said, look, this, this isn't, the, 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 we, we don't need to speculate about Navalny's death. The, the, the very simple truth is there are neutral countries in this world, Switzerland, Austria, Right, Russia easily could reach out and say, "Could you please send me two quarters each? We're going to do an international autopsy on Navalny. Uh, we, you know, we'll be very transparent, and we can we can share the results." And 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 they never do that, right? Because they don't want to. So we're we're fairly certain, um, you know, you know where this is going, and and it's it's very unfortunate, right? This is how Putin deals with with his opposition, uh, which makes it very easy to be a very provocative leader and say anything you want, because. You know, when you're when you're in a, in an when you're the lead of an authoritarian regime, it's somewhat easy to get your bills passed. Right? You know, you don't you don't need a whip in Congress. You don't, you don't need you don't need anywhere like that. You just say this is what we're going to do, and people do it. Um, so yeah, that that's not surprising. That the fall of Adika is is, is disappointing. Um, I, I look, I'm pro Ukraine, and and but I'll be the first to admit that Russia took it and. And there are many reasons for that, right? But I think we have to we have to put that in context, right? So the first thing that I think that that uh, that needs to be put in context is that Vika is, is a ten hour drive from Kiev, right? So this isn't World War II where the Allies are on the footsteps of Berlin about ready to take over the capital, right? So we have ten hours, right? We're entering the springtime. It's going to get muddy. Heavy vehicles are going to get get that bogged down. Um, lo- Russian logistics lines are going to get longer as as they extend, right? As as Russia extends, if they stay on the offensive, they're going to get longer and longer. And Russia is not proven to be the most logistics savvy niche in the world when it comes to war. They're really good at defense, but they're not so good at offense, right? Well, w- would you would you say that uh, the taking of the city was um, that does it mark any sort of change shift in the balance of the war or was it kind of expected based of, on the timing and some of the logistics of that were the, some of the, the some of the, the fighting that was ongoing was it expected oh no, I, look I, i'm not going to say it was for nothing right i, I think that that there, there there's there's value to adika right you actually push your front lines out far enough in adika that you actually get a very good logistics rail hub uh and then that's right so now you 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 are your ability to replenish and resupply is 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 harbored and protected a little bit better. 
Um, so Russia can't bring more capability in. It's not a, a you know heavy artillery barrage. So there there is value to this. I'm not I'm not going to just dismiss away um, that that this wasn't important. Um, but if, you know it, I, I will say that with the lack of funding that that Ukraine has been asking for for almost two months now, right? It, it, that their 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 supplies are low, and it's not that no one should have been surprised that this fell. So, so you, you mentioned, you mentioned funding. I want to, you know, <clears throat> we can touch on that now and I'm sure that'll be, we'll, we'll come back to this numerous times throughout the show. Cause it's really kind of the, the, the central point of what's going on in Ukraine right now. Sure. Um, this U S Senate passed a funding, uh, a foreign aid bill is about 95 billion. I think 60 billion would go to Ukraine. About 30 other billion would go to other causes. Um, but about 60 billion to Ukraine, uh, the speaker of the house, uh, did not bring the bill to the floor, but called recess until February 28th. Uh, in the meantime, of course, so that'll be next week that uh, apparently the House, supposedly the House will be back to vote on it if they decide to bring the bill to the floor. In the meantime, you've had, uh, a, you know, Congressman, uh, a Congressman from Pennsylvania, uh, 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 Congressman Fitzpatrick, I think it was, uh, talk about, hey, hey, we're going to pass it. Don't worry. It's, it's, a, it's a done deal. You've had other of U.S. diplomats saying it's we we are going to pass it, but yet at the same time on Capitol Hill there's still that uncertainty. Um, you've had some provoking comments from uh, Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. Um, you've had some re- more reassuring comments, maybe depending on how you look at it, from the other candidate Nikki Haley. Of course, you have Biden. A lot has happened in these two weeks. So, what do we? Could you put into the the, the opinion piece today? basically says you don't do the you don't give ukraine this money bad things are going to happen so what are our options at this point we have to pass this aid package on february 28th don't we yeah and what would happen if we delay it further yeah so first of all that there's a there's a couple there's a couple threads to pull there right so europe just their european union just passed a, a fairly substantial and we're talking about in the billions of, of aid and support for ukraine so that's great uh, there's a couple, which is more than out- they have in the past. Yes, true. And uh, there's a couple countries out there, and I want to say it was Norway, right? That just to say, I'm, I un- unload our ammo dumps, man. We're giving, we're giving everything, right? Which is crazy, right? I, I, I'm, uh, I'm not so sure I, how to do that if I'm a leader, but, but they're all in. It's kind of like they're sitting at the, uh, at the, at the Texas Hold'em table. I'm all in. I mean, they push all their, all their, all their artillery pieces on onto the table. It's pretty impressive. I, look, I, I, I don't know. I remember a couple of years ago, right? And you know, the if you think back to when the, the Democrats controlled the House, it was the squad that kind of consumed all the oxygen in the room, right? That that and and Pelosi let them have their space and have their way, and she could control the squad because she she was a, a very whether you like her or not, she was very effective at being a speaker of the House, right? Um, we don't have the same thing on the Republican side right now with with Johnson. You've got a minority, uh, a very Far right minority led by Matt Gates and and some other folk, folks like that that are a, a little bit of instigators, right? And they're they're consuming the majority of the oxygen, and they're very pro MAGA, they're very pro Trump. And and to be fair, I you know I've talked to a couple of congressional members of my friends, and they said you'd be amazed at how much power Trump is wielding onto Republican congressmen right now, even though he's not even in office to basically not let this aid through, and. 
And I don't I, look. I, I understand why Trump's doing it. I think I, it, you know, if you look at it through everybody's lens, it makes sense why everyone's doing. There's there's no one that I scratch my head and go, okay, I don't understand why they're doing that. But at the end of the day, I, I'm with you. I think the funding is going to get passed. I don't see how Speaker Johnson delays this much longer. Uh, I think that should he try to keep keep doing this, he's going to be at risk to lose his speakership. And I don't think he wants to do that either. So yeah, I, I think that the funding is going to pass. Ukraine definitely does need it. You've got F-16s coming this summer. Um, you know, there's, there's according to the, the air chief of the National Guard Bureau, you've got eight guys who are already flying solo out in, in, uh, in Tucson, uh, flying Viper solo. So all, all good things are lining up for Ukraine. It's just, they've had a, they've had a kind of, you know, excuse my language, they'd have a shitty go of it for the past yeah. two months. <laughs> Well, and, and now from the opponent's perspective of the funding, you know, they mentioned that, okay, it's been two years. It's kind of a stalemate. There, there's not a lot of progress one way or the other. And we're just basically, you know, put, put it, pouring money in and it's not, and, and it's not really changing the tide of the war. Uh, what are some of the, what are some of the, whether it's a dollar amount or certain uh, equipment or weapons, what are some of the things that U.S. and its allies can do to help Ukraine make progress in this war throughout the, the remainder of the year if the if the aid package is passed yeah um the the, the simple word is commit right uh yes the united states has given money yes europe has given money but we have leaders in the west and look i've been critical of the republicans I, i'm i'm an equal opportunity employer right i'm, I'm, a, I'm an equal equal jerk if you will right so i'll be critical of joe biden right now right i think the delay on f-16s was excessive i, I think those should have gone way way earlier for whatever reason, and and we don't know what it is. I don't get a, you know, they don't they don't invite me to the National Security Council, so I don't get to sit in. It's very clear that they didn't want F-16s to go. It's very clear that they didn't want to give ATACMs. And what I mean, yes, they've given them like 10, 15, 20, or, but I'm talking about ATACMs in serious numbers, right? So giving, giving Ukraine long-range strike capability has been, it's very clear that Western leaders don't want to do this. And this isn't just on Joe Biden, right? You've got, you've got uh, the, the German leader right now, as well as the German parliament, right? They took a vote in Germany on should we send or should we not send? And I can't think of that. I'm, that it's, my brain's failing me right now. But there's a long-range strike artillery or missile system that they have, and I can't remember the name of it. But, but basically, the Germans said, no, don't, don't, don't send it. They don't want to They don't want to provoke Putin. Putin and what I, you know, I, not wanting to provoke somebody who's in war with you already is, it seems to be a little disingenuous. I, I understand there's nukes on the table and I understand that adds a different thing, but I also understand deterrence uh, constructs, right? Look, nuclear war is all about deterrence. And conventional war is very different. And when you try to conflate the two, you're, you're, uh, you're really in a bad place. You're, you're, you're not, unless you have someone who really understands that you're, you're, you're not doing it right. Hello everyone, I want to take a short break to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for the continued support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. I am pleased to be here today with Bill Watson, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs. Bill, it's great to be here with you. Now, BAE Systems Fast Labs is BAE Systems Research and Development and Production Organization. Can you tell us a little bit about Fast Labs as well as your background? Yes, and thank you for having me. A BAE Systems Fast Labs is dedicated to innovating disruptive next-generation solutions for the critical defense and intelligence challenges. Of course, electronic warfare is one of our key focus areas, but in addition to that, we also do research in autonomy and AI, sensing and response, 
advanced microelectronics, communications, and navigation. I've been working in the RF, that is radio frequency research community for over 20 years, a short time in the United States Air Force, followed by specific research and development. My work in the last 20 years has been singularly focused on DARPA research and within the last 10 years at BAE Systems Fast Lab specifically. Technology we work on spans sensor processing to high-level sense making, up to tactical and operational level autonomy and decision-making support. And one of the key differentiators about BAE Fast Labs is the research that we do uh, is intended to find its way to benefit the warfighter. This has been an important topic through many of our recent episodes here on From the Crow's Nest. Can you talk a little bit more about that technology? And for our audience, how does it change or affect our EW capabilities that we're trying to field? In our work with leading uh, DoD customers like DARPA or AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will uh, advance future solutions from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We then transition our technology to feelable products that benefit our warfighters through partnership with BA Systems Electronic Systems product lines. As a specific example, I thought I'd use a movie you may or may not be familiar with. It was called Battle Los Angeles. It was from 2011. And in that movie, aliens had invaded. And what the characters in the movie found is that whenever they keyed their microphones on their radios, they could be easily geolocated and targeted. What the movie presented as science fiction for us is, in fact, science fact. This is the type of technology that we work on and exist today where the physics meets the real world. This sounds like absolutely fascinating work. What is the next area that you see for research and development? And if anyone is interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, we can't say too much because of the sensitivity of our work at classification levels. But in Fast Labs, we are always working on the future state. No matter what the future threats are, we will continue to focus on solving the hardest problems to benefit the warfighter. If you're interested in more information about Fast Labs, you can connect with us on our website at basystems.com slash fastlabs. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. And now it's time to get back to our show. So, so about a, a year, you know, touching on the F-16 issue, you, know, you actually had a very good opinion piece. Uh, I believe it was in April or something of last year. Talking in the about, Kiev Post. Oh, it was in the Kiev Post. There you go. In the Kiev um, Post, yes. I'm, an, you, I'm a writer you, for the Kiev Post, too. You, you were talking about, obviously, the the why we need to be giving F-16s to Ukraine. but you And you put it in, obviously, in terms of the, the, the role that air power um, is the, the essential role of air power in, in winning the war. Could you talk a little bit about, from your EW perspective, because that, that came through that article, uh, talk a little bit about specifically air power and the role that that has to play in victory for Ukraine? Yeah, you know, some people call me an air power zealot. I'm, I'm not an air power zealot. I'm, I, I want to win war. Right? <laughs> and, and when I look at what the United States was able to do in 1991 in Desert Storm, with precision guided weapons and, and an over you know an, an insurmountable amount of air power compared to what Iraqis could bring to the forefront, and I look at what the United States and the coalition powers did in 1999. I mean, both of these wars lasted under three months, right? Uh, Slobodan Milosevic and and Saddam Hussein basically said, "No, Moss, man, I, I I can't put up with this." Right, and your your ground forces were actually doing more of a cleanup role than they were actually doing you know fighting contested battle lines. And we never gave, and, and and to be fair, 
the United States leadership has said nonstop, we will never send our U.S. forces to war again without that kind of air power, right? Where we we go and we control the air first. And if you can control the air, your ability to affect the land domain is, is monstrous, right? And, and by the way, tying this to EW, right? You can't control the air unless you can roll back the enemy ground-based air defense systems, right? And, and other air systems. So uh, counter-radar batteries, counter-radar for ground control intercepts, uh, acquisition radars, target tracking radars, right? You have to control all... To control the air, you kind of have to control the electromagnetic spectrum too, right? They, they go hand in hand when we're talking about conventional warfare. Um, so yeah, we we let Ukraine fight without air power, right? With the, they had some. Uh, Russia brought some to bear. I, I what one I talk about head scratchers, right? The biggest head scratcher I have from this war, right, is Russia does does and did have a significant air force. Why they hadn't learned lessons from the United States over the past two decades on securing and maintaining air supremacy and security, I have no idea. Why they didn't roll in immediately and just control the air to enable their ground forces a freer maneuver. I didn't say freedom of, but freer maneuver, I don't know. I don't think Russia truly cares about their soldiers like we do in the West. So, so at the, at this point, though, what can I mean? Obviously, the F sixteens are on their way. Um, what what is some of the? Do you know anything about like what the cause of that delay has been? Has it been just logistics getting it over there? Uh, has it been technology? Has it been training? Uh, all of the above. It it's been the. Uh, <laughs> No, it, it's it, to be fair. Those are all the excuses, right? That uh, and and I've written another piece for the Kiev Post that basically debunks. This was last year, right? My my other piece for the Kiev Post basically debunked every reason that that the White House and and Jake Sullivan, the the, you know, the national security advisor to the president, were giving. Like you know, the runways can't handle F sixteens, and you know that was one of my favorite ones, right? We that the runways are just you know potted and. I know here, here's a picture from 2011, right, of, of USF-16s from the California Guard taxiing around and flying out. You created airfields of like, hey, Jake, you know, I, I don't know why they, can they not fly now that the, that the runways get worse? And, you know, and, and of course, then it was, you know, that it was air crew training. And the truth of the matter is, look, I, 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 I give CQ, uh, uh, you know, CQ Brown a lot of credit. He was the chief of staff of the Air Force at the time. And, and there was this wild speculation on how long it would take to train, um, in a B course, right? We're talking about guys who are actually combat trained. So make 29 pilots to 27 pilots from Ukraine. How long would it take them train? And, and he didn't want to guess. I mean, the, the guy was a weapon. He was in charge of our weapons school, right? He, he doesn't guess, right? <laughs> he wants facts. He wants data and he wants real, re- real world information. So he took, you know, he snuck two Ukrainian pilots into Tucson uh, this was last year, and he basically sat them down with four F-16 pilots that all had like 3,000 hours, instructors, top gun grads, you name it. These guys were, were were the best of the best. And they basically did an evaluation on these two pilots and said, how long is it going to take? And a internal memo, it wasn't classified, but it was FOUL, right, uh, surfaced back up to, to Washington They're basically from these four guys. So this didn't happen in the Beltway. It's four guys in Tucson basically said it's going to take four months. Right. We can have these guys trained and ready to fly combat missions in Ukraine in four months. So, you know, that now there were people who liked that report. 
There were people who didn't like that report, and it clearly stood on whether or not you wanted F-16s to go into Ukraine or not. But but yeah, these are all been excuses. I think we're finally out of excuses. To be fair, the F-16s that are going, I think everyone needs to remember this, right? The F-16s that are going to Ukraine are not from the United States. The United States still has not ponied up any of our F-16s from the Boneyard or from any of our National Guard units or from anywhere else. All of these are foreign-procured, you know, Dutch... Norwegian, um, all, all of those, uh, Belgium, I think, right? So the, these are not American F-16s, and we still haven't committed to that. Why? That's a, that's a great question for your congressman. Do, do you think that's the next logical step then once the F-16s do kind of become operational uh, from the European allies that that will put more pressure on the U.S. to contribute to to this effort on, on, on the air superiority front? Uh, yeah, you know, I... I I'd love to see, I mean, I'd love to see Turkey uh, get head of the line privileges to get the F-16 Block 70s rolling off that we, that we promised them. And the reason I say that is actually Turkey's got a bunch of older, you know, older F-16s. I mean, and, and Turkey's j- just down the road, right, <laughs> from Ukraine. So this isn't, a, this isn't a heavy lift to move all these F-16s over, right? So, uh, you know, you, you want to kind of stay... In, in type, right? You don't want to go from block 20s, block 30s, and then all of a sudden try and send block 70s to, to guys who are still trying to learn the airframe, right? I don't, I don't think that's going to be helpful. I, I, you know, it, there's, there's a million things that the United States could do. I will go back to the word of saying committed, right? It probably wouldn't be very popular, but the president of the United States could basically order the SECDEF to say, I need you to shut down State Guard Unit X, I need you to sunset them. And I need all those F-16s pushed to Ukraine. And then we are we will re-stand up that unit with F-35s as soon as possible. Like that, you know, we 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 could be doing that, right? That, that it, the, the guard unit would be upset, the guard unit would be, I mean, but but, but this is the militaries. You know, we don't just say, oh shucks, gee darn, these are orders. Okay, we're gonna stand down, we're gonna do everything we can to get those vipers over there, and then we're gonna prepare as much as we can to get up 35s. I, 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 you know, people, when they say that the president's hands are tied, I, I don't understand this, right? I, I, I don't buy it. And I think that, you know, if people were willing to do their due diligence, they would learn that President Biden still has $4 billion with a B in his pocket of presidential drawdown authority that he could get. And he's saying he could do nothing and that's not true. Yeah, and, and, and former Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo was, He's talking about Trump's comments and basically say, hey, you know, don't believe everything you hear in the media. Uh, but he was making the case that presidents have a tremendous amount of, a pow- of power and authority, yeah. more be- beyond more than what we typically he- think of and hear of in the news. So going to your point that, yes, Biden does have a lot more flexibility to do as, as commander in chief. He can do a lot more than he is currently yeah. doing. And and so can the, the his successor or his so can he in the second administration, depending on how that turns out? Yeah, I, I would like to point out, right, if, if I was Joe Biden, I would probably do the same thing he's doing. So I don't, I don't blame him for what he's doing, right? He wants political buy-in from the right for actually more support as he moves into an election year where, you know, he's going to have a, a difficult election against Donald Trump. So when it does come time to the election, he can say, hey, look, this was a bipartisan effort to support Ukraine, right? So it's not left and right. It doesn't, you know... It, it takes away some of the some of the gunpowder that Donald Trump could be able to use him as they approach the November of this year. So, 
it, I, I don't I don't mean to slam them. I'm just saying there are at, there are capabilities out there for it. Yeah, and and I think you know it is it is bipartisan. Whether you have the vote <laughs> now yeah. or no, yeah. February twenty eighth, I mean, I think the yeah. I, the reality is it is bipartisan. But it, it'll be interesting to see what what happens. And uh, you know, in a couple of weeks when we have our next episode, I'm going to have uh, Katie and Madison from Forza DC on. We're going to be talking about some of the appropriations deadlines, but that will be post the vote on February twenty eighth. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that and what the what kind of what the fallout of that is, uh, which will be an interesting conversation as well. Going back to the F-16s, I was, I was uh, listening to a podcast that you obviously were on um, called Speak the Truth, and, but you were talking about the F-16s, and I want to kind of hit, touch on that a little bit, because I think when you hear about weapons going over, you, maybe the, the way that you imagine them being used is a little bit different than what the benefit that they bring to the table. And when you think F-16s, you think fighter jets, you think air-to-air. But really, it's, it's it's the networking capability that the F-16 has. I think it could potentially be the game changer. And you went into kind of detail on that on your podcast. I want you to be, share that kind of perspective because I thought that was really something that you don't hear a lot about in, in the media when talking about the F-16 buy. Yeah, so look, the F-16 is a capable airplane, right? And I think sometimes we uh, and the media uh, sometimes get too caught up in the What's an F-16's capabilities against a MiG-29 or against a Su-27? And sometimes we, we want to make the fight look like it's taking place inside of a boxing ring where it's just two assets. And the truth of the matter, it's not a boxing ring fight at all, right? It's, it's a bar brawl, right? It's probably a better way to look at it, right? You got, you got 15 guys on one side and you got a bunch of guys on the other side and all 15 guys are going to kind of work together. In the F-16's case, right, you've got um, ground-based patriots that most likely are going to be linked into a data link system that shares an air picture, right? And that air picture can be shared since it's a U.S.-made system. This data link system is also going to be on the F-16. So the F-16 would be able to have whatever this air picture's, you know, uh, radar or what the picture looks like. And it's not just the picture, right? So you've also got intelligence and surveillance systems that to say, well, this blip is, you know, uh, a Russian AWACS. He's far away. Don't worry about it. This blip we know is a two ship of MiG 29s. This blip is, and, and so he can build this situation that the pilot in the F 16, or the Ukrainian F 16, right, can build a, um, an, an air picture and situational awareness of what's going on before he even turns on his radar, right? So we've got this ridiculous advantage. You know, we, we uh, I, I think, you know, last week, the Ukrainians again without a Navy sunk another another Russian, uh, a Russian vessel or a Russian, Russian warship. And one of the things that I think is interesting, there's some people who are saying, you know, every time these Russian warships get sunk, there just happens to be a global hawk flying around over the, over the top of the Crimean Sea or the Black Sea. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not shocking, right? There's, there's intelligence out there that's actually somehow being shared, whether it's coming from the global hawk, I don't know. But it just is amazing that these little canoes, you know, plastic canoes full of explosives, like they have just to find these massive ships in the middle of the Black Sea relatively and rapidly fast. This is the same thing that would apply to an F-16, right? So you're building that situational awareness. More importantly, you create wonderful opportunities. And I'll end on this one, right? Um, back during Vietnam, one of, one of my favorite, you know, op- Operation Bolo, right? It was one of my favorite operations. It was, uh, you know, Robin Olds. And, and it was wonderful, right? Because Robin Olds was, was as an F-4 guy, was getting pissed because every time the F-4s would fly, that the, the, you know, the enemy MiGs wouldn't come out. 
So what did he do? Right? He made it look like he was an, an, a, an F-105. Their call signs, their formations, their takeoff times, their everything. He made it look like that. And of course, uh, you know, the enemy came up and you, you surprised them. You could do the same thing with F-16s. You could fly mixed section, right? Or you could fly an, a, a MiG-29 and an F-16 and get value of both of them. That would be a difficult challenge for a Russian fighter jet coming out, especially if you didn't expect the F-16 to be in the formation. Or you change call signs and you make things happen like that, right? So there, there's wonderful opportunities here. Uh, I'm quite certain that the, the you know the Ukrainians are talking about these. Uh, I've not been involved in any of those conversations, so please, please don't ask. But I, I would be foolish not to be having those discussions. My, my microphone quality is probably a little bit off, but I, I, if you can hear me, um, I have no it, idea what you just said because it, it I lost all audio, but it wasn't I'm important. sure it was amazing. So if you could just build on that point while sure. I figure this out, that would be fantastic. <laughs> sure, yeah. So sort of the things that I talked about in that podcast, right, when we talk about F-16s is that uh, that podcast was last week. I said, look, I, if, if I was Ukraine right now, the other thing that I'd be doing is I'd start setting conditions right now for the F-16s to maximize their effect in the battle space. And, and of course, my, my interviewer, he's an army ranger, great guy, right? But he's like, how on earth do you send it? I'm a ground guy, right? I, I move at 15 to 30 miles an hour on the ground. I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, so right now you're going to try and do everything you can to start mitigating out Russian uh, air assets, right? So you're going to want to start shooting down Mi-29s, Su-30s, all these kinds of things you're really going to want to try and roll back or actually start punish some of those ground-based air defenses like S-300s and S-400s. So when those F-16s truly do get into theater, right, you've opened up that aperture of airspace. You've kind of pushed back the enemy a little bit on its heels. So now these F-16s have a little bit more freedom of maneuver and they have an ability to actually go out and start, you know, chomping at and gaining some air superiority of that airspace, whether that be based on time or geographical region. Did you get all that? Hey, we lost Ken again. It's all right. Are there any questions out there? I know there's people listening in, so if anyone, if anyone has any questions, I'm happy to help Ken. So, so uh, unfortunately, um, I, th I think that you know, we're going to have to, uh, I think we've reached the, the end of our, our, our time here today, and, and I greatly appreciate it. I apologize for the technical difficulties, uh, and we'll edit some of those out and clean that up here when we release the episode tomorrow. Uh, but, but Fish, it was great to have you on the show again. I greatly appreciate you taking time uh, out of your busy schedule, and uh, we will certainly have you back on here in a few weeks, and hopefully we'll have uh, some movement on the, on the Ukraine front uh, that, that we can discuss. So I really appreciate you joining me. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Well, that will conclude our episode of From the Crow's Nest. Again, I want to apologize for the technical difficulties we were having on our end, uh, which has caused us to have to cut the interview with Colonel Jeffrey Fisher short. For those in our audience and our listeners, uh, if you want to learn more about uh, Jeffrey Fisher, uh, you can go to his website, www.jeffreyfisher.com. As many of you know, he is a renowned military fiction author. Uh, of several books, and the latest one is Russian Puppeteer. Uh, I have read most of them. I have not read the Russian Puppeteer yet, but I've read the other ones, and they're absolutely uh, engaging books, and with really that really bringing his knowledge uh, and his experience as an Air Force officer. Really uh, recommend those books to you. Again, you can go to www.jeffreyfisher.com 
You could order the books right off there and also take a look at all of the articles that he's contributed, particularly to the Kiev Post, which we've uh, referenced here in the episode today. Also, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We always appreciate uh, hearing from our listeners, and we are always looking for ways to improve our show. So please take some time to let us know how we're doing. That's it for today. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at FTCN Host. Thanks for listening. Fast Labs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com/fastlabs.